Hello and welcome episode 33 of season 3 LOI Weekly with myself Johnny Ward and Paul Corey in studio to discuss the champions Dundalk FC yet again champions and they've wrapped it up very very early uh, did it so last night by beating Shamrock Rovers 3-2 in a very uh, interesting and lively game at Oriel Park Dan McDonnell is on the line on Skype we'll talk to him now very shortly uh, and we'll also hear from John Gill, who spoke to Dan after the game at Ori last night. And we have a special uh, interview upcoming with Sh- with Sligo Rovers, rather, winger Chris Fordick, uh, one of the few Canadians to play in the League of Ireland. And, of course, they played Dundalk in the Cup at the weekend. And that's going to be um, a big part of our conversation, such that I have as little to talk about what actually happened in the title race as is convenient and possible. Uh, let's find us on Podcast Republic, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes. And we are at LOI Weekly on Twitter in association with air sports and independent.ie uh paul they, they said it was all over and um well it is it is now it is shamrock rovers are still title winners in waiting <laughs> but they'll be waiting do you regret that um obviously <laughs> yeah because like i actually can't remember why i was that confident like because mm. this is this is got like there, there's now a 15 point gap between them Mm. So that's like I got it wrong, but it's like saying like a horse was a good thing, and the horse kind of finished like twenty five lengths off the pace. Like, yeah, Dan, I mean, Dan, 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 hello, Dan, how are you? <laughs> hey, 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 John, how are things? I mean, it's great. Like, you know, I, I actually like, I'm a big fan of you, John, and like, you know, great, great, you know, very good. Just journey. get on with it, Dan. Just get on with it. Amazing, amazing, like you know, amazing piece of Pat Smullen last week and stuff, and like, it's just. It just seems harsh that the line Shamrock Rovers are title winners in waiting after moving an incredible 13 points ahead of Dundalk might be the most famous line you ever pen, like in your journalistic mm. career. I mean, mm. it's now like a Simpsons meme, you know? I know, Which I do I, like the Simpsons meme, to be fair. Yeah, see, the thing is that I sent that one to you because as much as I know you don't necessarily love this slagging that much, you love a good Simpsons meme, so like I you know, I, I I didn't mind sending that one on to you, you know. Uh, but I do recall when you said it; it was after they beat Waterford very comfortably, and you just thought they'd won the game so easily that this was the story for the season. But unfortunately, you know, this is a season where a lot of teams win games easily if you're the Dock and Shamrock Rovers. So um, the evidence of Rovers' games against the Dock, one point out of four, um, you know, beating Waterford on a Friday night was deceptive. Paul, they got four points out of 24 against Bohemians and Dundalk. Um, and I was just thinking about this today. The turning point in the season for Shamrock Rovers was the first half against Bowes and Talla, one of the most, like, the best advertisements for the League of Ireland I think I can ever remember how good the atmosphere was that night. That was, of course, the night that Dave McWilliams rocked up and he brought these three kids who never go and they loved it. But I was just thinking back on it today. Um because they followed that game by having both Grace and Trevor Clark uh, suspended against uh, Dundalk. Had to play a kid left back Furlong at 16 because I presume um, Sean Kavanagh wasn't available. So that whole first half and all the madness where Rovers, in fairness, were very unlucky. A lot of things went against them, but they just never really... That, that particular four days or whatever it was, that was when, to me, the league kind of went completely yeah. the other way. Yeah, there was a big momentum shift, particularly at that time period. And I think the other moment that you could point at is is the Dundalk Rovers game after the breakout in Tala and you felt as if Shamrock Rovers were going to go on and, and try bridge that gap they were going to have to win that game and if you recall back they dominated the ball for large portions of that game and Dundalk still managed to grind out a result and that that is the difference between the two sides like when I look at Dundalk and I look at Shamrock Rovers and, and particularly at the game last night 
Dundalk can hurt you in so many different ways. They can play through you. They can play down the side. They can go over the top. They can play into Huben's feet. And I just don't feel as if Shamrock Rovers have that. At times, it feels as if when Shamrock Rovers are playing in those tight games, everything has to be so perfect for them to score. Um, and they're probably a bit too reliant on Jack Byrne too. So that is the difference between the sides. It's those games, and you look at the Premier League, you look at any of the top leagues around Europe, the games between the top sides are the ones that are going to define who's going to come out on top. And Dundalk have been far and away, the results against Bohemians and Shamrock Rovers, far superior. Like like you mentioned there, Shamrock Rovers only picked up four points for a potential 24, and that's not good enough. And that's what uh, Stephen Bradley would be pointed to in regards to their league form. And that's, that is... Undoubtedly, that's that's where the gap lies at this moment in time. Interesting enough, Dan, as well. That game he referenced in Tala where Dundalk won one nil. Dundalk weren't anywhere near their best that night as well. Yeah, and like there's probably two ways of looking at it. You know that, you know that that was a night that I suppose you're thinking, yeah, Rovers. Look, they they might they're closing the gap. They looked like, yeah, may, maybe they because there was obviously questions about Rovers after the previous slump that you mentioned, and it was they bounced out at home and big crowd and they performed, but actually. They just they they just couldn't really they they were on top but they didn't really hurt Dundalk that night you know like I, in in a strange way like there was a smash and grab element about the win there's no doubt about it but there was just a comfort in terms of how Dundalk managed the game and managed the sort of general situation and that's that's something that I think even just the twenty twenty five minutes before half time last night. Um, as much as you know, Rovers put on pressure late on and, and the Dock actually made some mistakes and I think they almost maybe switched off a bit but the 20-25 minutes before half time they actually just were it's exactly what Paul said there that they were hurting sort of Rovers from all angles um, and you're just looking at and going yes this is they, these are the champions they're emphatically the champions I mean um, the, the momentum definitely shifted at that point but also, I mean, you just take Dundalk's stats alone. You know, they lost to those two back-to-back games in April. They're the only two games they've lost. Um, I think is it 29 games in all competitions domestically since mm. then. 26 wins and three draws. There was eight clean sheets in a row before last night. They've only conceded 15 goals. Uh, although, in, in fairness, Rovers' concession record is actually pretty good as well, too. Um, but they, they actually just have, have steamrolled the division. And I know that... Um, they haven't maybe been sort of scintillating and, and maybe sort of taking people's breath away. Um, but I suppose they would argue that they, they also played a lot of games um, and, you know, they've caught up on all their fixtures now. They've actually got a, a game more played than a couple of teams and, you know, they've, they've gone through all the cups and, you know, the, the depth of their squad has, has carried them through. But, I mean, it, it was it was a strange one last night, I must say, because... Uh, I, I I wouldn't analyse last night's game in too much detail because there was a sense of yeah this is the game to win the league but I think everyone would admit there was no real suspense about the title race there was an element of well you know this is a Rovers play a strong team I think Stephen Bradley argued that actually the reason he did that was he felt they weren't very sharp against Pats on Friday a game we were at and um, he actually feels after a break they've struggled a couple of times this year and that's why he wanted to play some of the top dogs last night with a view to Friday but as much as there was a, like a, a good atmosphere in the ground and celebration, like it wasn't like frenzied. It wasn't mm. like the sort of raw emotion of say 2014 or even some of the league wins in recent years because it's been that comfortable. I mean, for all we talk about closing the gap and so on, at the moment, Docker on course for the biggest title win of this era in terms of points. Um, and there was that sense of last night, I think with some of the fans and some of the people there, 
Well, there you go. There's another one. Routine. You know, rather than it being um, like this outpouring of, of joy, and, and maybe Tala away in June and the away section, there was probably a bit of that. And maybe that's when it really was done. And I think Paul called it at the time and a few others. But, yeah. um, you know, there, there wasn't that sense of joy last night, you know. But I, I will say I did, you know, there was obviously still, you know, some good discussions to be had last night. And probably at this point, I, I did have a good chat with John Gill after the game. Um, just to chat to him really about the night, um, the year, his own role, his own history with Dundalk and I think also significantly as well, the pressure that the, the coaching staff did feel around that time in April. John, we were just chatting there off air about uh, your first time at the club um, and it's a very different place now, it's strange, like it's a fifth league win in, in six years tonight um, and it's funny, like it's, it's almost, Vinny spoke there a few minutes ago about people around the club almost not taking it for not around the club, but around the town, taking it for granted almost because they're getting used to it. But there wasn't the same explosion tonight that there that there the has been in the, the previous years. But but for you, this is this is your first one in this yeah, in this listen, thing. So how does it feel for you? Just special, Dan. I mean, I didn't get to, I didn't get to celebrate the last week with first division, which was big for us as well because I knew I was dead man walking. If you know, I knew I was mm. gone. So I didn't come back then. I should have come back and I didn't with the players. I stayed in Kildare, had a few beers with the and I didn't come back. I never come near the club again until there was a player of the year doing I came back. But anyway, that's gone. But for me, this this vindicates. I, I had a bad time in Drada the last year in Drada. It wasn't a good place to be around. We, we got promoted. It was a bad dressing room, mm. down to a few individuals, um, well documented. And I just, I lost the love of football. And I'd given it up. I, I was done. 56, coming up to 56 in December. I was sitting on the beach. In November, Vinny gives me a ring, tells me Stephen Kenny's gone. Uh, where are you? I said, I'm away. Anyway, I came up and met him. I hadn't met O'Donnell before. I hadn't, and he's had a big part to play tonight. You know, he's not here tonight. Stevie O'Donnell had a huge part mm. to play in what we've achieved this year. And he'd go on to do great things in Pats. Higgins, I hadn't met. Another great lad as well. And Vinny himself. And when I met them, I just felt it was good lads. Met the players. And, and I'm not just saying the players, it's all about players. Um, and Stephen has probably instigated that he's put in the foundation of the type of player and the type of character that comes into this club they're really good people we made it this week probably Benson so it calls me said listen Sean Russell I had Sean and Indrada yeah. he played and he said listen he's in it he's in it but I said you know what let's do a collection we collected a, a considerable sum of money donated it to his GoFundMe page so not only are they this group of players are they, are, they, are they the best on the pitch to me they're the best off as well to do something like that they didn't have to do it yeah. and it's all, it's non-fuss they park their egos on the pride at the gate they come in and they walk hard just, and I'm not just because we've won the league tonight but they've been like that all along I remember sitting where you're sitting against Bowles we lost the previous two in, we're, we're it, sitting in the bench at the moment just yeah, to be yeah, yeah, I, yeah sitting on the bench and a minute to go and we're walking a gangplank I like, didn't want to say the two boy but I'm a realist did you feel that? Yeah, I honestly, I'm genuinely down. I did. I, I actually said it to, and that's no fault because that happens in football. Football's a ruthless business because at the at the time, if you remember, it was not a thing but the Stephen Kenny thing, and you know it, it was going to be a massive shoes to fill. And yeah, there was a there was a questions about the management structure, rightly so. I have to say, everybody was right. I'm under no illusions. I know why I was brought in because I had a pro license. It was I was always going to be like Vinny was the one that was going to drive it on. I was here to help, and I did. I sat there where you're sitting now, and I said the third seat in, and I said. This is not good. I remember not just. I went in for, a, I went in for a pee, as I do. I've a weak bladder when I'm nervous, and you might laugh. I said a little prayer to my dad, who died when I was here the first time around. And this sounds stupid. Dad died in 2000, mm. 2007 and I said, Dad, if you're up there, do something for us, will you? Came back out, and I'm not just you. Daniel Kelly gets fouled for penalty. Yeah, that was the, the, the 19th. Do you know I mean? We all commented. I said to the lads, you know what, lads? 
minutes, wins like that can galvanise a group. This might be the... Lads were kind of... Hack, I'm, I'm telling you, that's a 29 game. Because Bowes were probably the better team that night. Ah, damn. They get they a team of young fellas out. We were vulnerable because we were nervous after the Sligo game mm. and the Pats game the previous week. And we were, we were on the ropes. We hadn't got Shields. I think Shields came on that night as a sub. We brought him on as a sub. He was only getting over it. He came back and he wasn't even ready to come back. Uh, McElhaney came back, come on that night after his operation as well. We had four surgeries here this year that mm. were kept fairly quiet. We've had a lot to deal with injury-wise. But the, 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 the group of players are just so strong mentally. They dragged us through that game that night. We went on and, and, and had a great run down. We weren't spectacular. We haven't probably been... As spectacular as previous league winning teams have been here but mm. they've shown different qualities because I mean you talk about the surgeries that you've had but I know like fans of other clubs listening will say well look they still had the squad and I think that's mm. I think that's a fair point I mean you do have a yeah. very very the strong practice, squad the owners yeah. practice the um, but I suppose the team that started tonight was interesting they were all involved in the double last year the starting 11 like it's about the desire to keep going I guess and is that something that you've I think you've spoken about before that you know, a team that's won some of them have some of those players have got five league medals now. They had four at the start of the year, and they could easily, I guess, have, have switched off to a degree. Yeah. Um, is that something that struck you that there's the desire to keep going? Absolutely. And some of them even said there tonight. I know it was I haven't been here, but someone said tonight that was the, actually this is the sweetest because of the way it was done and, and the run we've been on and the problems that we faced. I mean, we left Boyle out of the squad tonight, mm. and he's a great listen, Andy Boyle. What a great guy just a great guy which highlights the strength you have as yeah, well absolutely though. and we've done that all year and we probably would have done it more than a midfield but we had like, Flores has been out all season I know people said but he's a good player I'm telling you mm-hmm. there's a player there uh, Murray's, Murray's had his injury problems McElhaney broke his broke his metatarsal McGrath broke, broke his metatarsal so we've never uh, Shields does his media ligament if, if, we, if we had had a full squad you know Benson broke his leg mm-hmm. we would have actually rotated more and I know that might sound but we, that was one thing we said listen the club have backed us to pick to, to, to get a big squad together we need to utilise that and not be afraid and trust the players that are there because there's nearly two players for every position trust them that the players you bring in because I find with rotation what, I, what I've got I've never, seen, I've never seen it work before because I've never had the luxury of a big enough squad but the guy that has the jersey a bit like the All Blacks the guy that has the jersey when he, when he puts it back up and I've said this to the players you, you have a responsibility to that jersey he's mm. after leaving it in a really good place so the guy that comes in feels he has to try and get to that level and that even in training it creates it does create performances mm. like, and I'm not saying that people here like, were untouchable but Stephen would have maybe because he didn't have a big enough squad Stephen would have only used 14, 15 players you know that because he didn't have the squad maybe that we had but mm. we had the confidence in the squad and the confidence in the group to go and do that just, I mean, you mentioned there the, that time around the Bowes game and the pressure that was the pressure and the attention that was on the management structure. I mean, was that something that you that you felt personally yourself because you were the new guy, new guy, but I was well, also the guy. most experienced guy as well. And mm. I've been in like a, I was in a situation with Pat's where you walk a plank as well and you and you get a feeling for something. And I, mm. as I did in Pat's, Pete will tell you that. Mm. And, and I did, and, and in Rovers with Trevor. Yeah. So I've been in situations where they're uncomfortable and you know that. It's probably not going to. If we don't do something, there, it's not going to end. Mm. It's not going to end well. And I, tr- I wanted to try and keep them positive because they're a young group and they're, they're young guys. They're going to go on to have magni- honestly magnificent careers. O'Donnell's going to do a great job in Pats. <laughs> Vinny's doing a great job here, and Higgins will go on to be a great manager. Tell me about Vinny because Vinny's the one that Vinny is at the front of it. He's. I tell you what he is, man. He's he's obsessed. He's. I'm not saying I I, I can see me because that'd be disingenuous, but I was obsessed at his age as well. Where I didn't. I, and it can be. It can be. It's not, it can't be. It's not healthy at times because you're so consumed with. with uh, when I came here and when you first division, you're so wanting to do well that you put everything back. Your family. He's a young family as I had at the time. 
you miss birthdays, you miss, you, you sacrifice everything, I mean everything, you're up at night reading books, you're, you're on social media looking at trying to get facts and figures, you're looking at players, I remember going, yeah, like he goes to every game, I went to watch the Bowes game, semi-final last week against Crumlin, didn't expect them to be there, and, but we always go over the far, I was over the far side watching it, just on a Monday night, mm. who pops up behind me, Perth, he's just upset, honestly, he's, he's now, and I know Stephen was the same in fairness. Kenny would be the same. So Finney has learned half a good tutor. I probably learned a little bit off Keely. And Pete Mann would be the same. I find that people have been successful in the game here. You, you do become, you have to be obsessed. And if you're not obsessed, you won't be successful. Yeah. And when I mean obsessed, I mean, it, it consumes you. Now that can be unhealthy as well. I remember Dublin City, I blew up, we got promoted. And, and I actually had a 12 document that I had. I, I, I think, look back at it now and I say, maybe I was going to have me rocker then. Like a breakdown? Yeah, I, well, no, I, I'd say I was, I, I'd be honest enough to admit, I reckon I did mm. at the time, genuinely. Because I remember we got beaten by Monaghan in a cup game there in the first division, and uh, the detail was detailed, there was reasons why, but I, 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 I'm not ashamed to say, yeah, I probably did. Mm. And it took me a while to get back until I came here. And I said, right, and I tried to manage it a bit better, but then what happens is you get sucked in again and you start, but I did delegate a bit more when yeah. I came back here. And he, Vinny, at times, he's, 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 he's on top of everything. And he probably has to be, because he knows it was his first gig. And if you don't get your first gig right, Dan, yeah. you, you've seen and you, you've seen. If you don't get your first gig right, what it's done now is he's got credibility in the bank now. He's won a league, yeah, on his own shoulders. He's won a he's won a league cup, and hopefully we'll win maybe one or two more things. And that gives you a bit of breathing, a little bit of breathing space. It gives you credibility. Yeah. Whereas if you, if you fail in, in, a, in, a, in a so-called big job, a lot of you, you don't. A lot of times you don't come back from it. Even if it's a first division job, you don't come back from it. There are no really second chances. You, I could name a number of people to you, and you know, we probably yeah. name the same people that haven't come back. Yeah. Um, so I'm thrilled for him because I know how much he puts into it, and he sacrificed everything. He's, his, 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 you know, his family, his, and that's but to be successful. That's what you have to do, and he's done, and he deserves every and all the plaudits he gets because it was a big. There were big shoes to fill. Just finally, before I let you go and actually actually enjoy the celebrations, what is next for the club then? I mean, I know there's the. You know, there's the short term, there's, there's the travel, there's a the cross-border cup now that you're, that you're into. But just, just generally, you're part of the European thing this year. That raised its own questions, you know, maybe... But then that slow one's in without beat the shit game. Yeah, no, it, I know, and that's, I think that's been acknowledged. But, I mean, there's obviously a, a broader project here with the owners and so on. And I see people involved here tonight. So, like, what the, where is this club going now as, as, as I, you see it? I think, I think Europe is a big thing for the club and the owners. So I think it is. There's no getting away from that. But I think as well, my own personal view is I think you've got to be realistic. You're not going to go from A to Z in one go. You've got to take small incremental steps. Yes, probably domestically we have got magic uh, uh, training facilities. We have... Uh, we need to improve. I've got a record. I said that. We do need maybe... To, and I think the, the owners are aware that we need to we, we need to improve maybe the ground itself. I think yeah. that's maybe hopefully it's going to happen. spoken about in the program yeah. tonight. I think it is. So, I think it's yeah. going to... You know, Mark Devlin's got a record to say that. So I think that's the next... But we're not going to jump from here to here. But I think it's, it's, it's a work in progress. I think, boy, you know, you've got to win your league domestically to make sure you have another crack at, at the Champions League next year. But from my experience this year in it, Dan, it's, it's like you go to Riga. And even look at the ground, the, the, the ground that they have. And I'm not. I'm just saying the whole back. Like people think, oh, these are minnows. They're not. Like they're minnows. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're big clubs. Carabag. You want to see the stadium, the stadium yeah. they have. And that's only the first time they're, they're yeah. playing the bigger one. And then you go to Slovan and you're in a 22,075 million euro stadium. You're playing budget of nine million. And to be honest with you, I felt we were. We feel we left that one behind us. We, I, I feel we were two mistakes away. If the keeper doesn't save. 
Dominic Grieve, I don't know the name, yeah. but stick with me, that makes a save off Melty in the last minute. But the two mistakes that we made, the first two goals and, and Tanner. But the first half, I thought we played well. We gave away two sloppy goals. But, I, you know, in the first half over in Slovan, I thought we dominated the game. We didn't. And, and if Mianti had what, she'd be yeah. welcome. But I think that's the level. We know the level you've got to get to, but it's easy saying to get there. I mean, it's how do you attract top, top players here? I mean, OK, you can play. If you're a really top player, it's not only going to be about money. It's going to be about facilities as well, I, mm. I feel. And maybe them using the club as a stepping stone to go to higher things as well. Let's be because we're not. No, we don't. We're not going to win the Champions League. We're not going to win the Europa League. But we, you don't think we can get into a group stage again? And that has to be the, that has to be the, the plan. And is the plan? And there has to be a hunger to do that. Dan, I got to know John Gill a little bit in the in the Dundalk Carabao game, and um, very very likable character. But I mean, he really gave everything there in that interview. Like fascinating stuff from. The levels of his coaching back in the day, obviously, and and what you know, the pressure they felt this season—just such a multi-layered interview, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like just speaking honestly about the, the the struggles he had at Dublin City and um, you know, his previous time with Dundalk, but and and there's, there's a lot in that, and obviously, like the, I mean, the the, the rules that led to John Gill being brought in are, are effectively being changed now. So, in a strange way, he was he was the right man at the right time in terms of coming into the club and getting this second wind in terms of his um, football career. But I think it's sort of impressive, like that they've they certainly have managed to retain uh, the character and the personality that carried Dundalk the previous champions. I know championships. Like I, I know they have the biggest budget, um, and. It, like you can't avoid that, and 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 that power means that it's very hard for them to have like a really bad year. You know that a bad year might be second, but still, like you know, there's there's, there's multiple league winners in that dressing room who could easily like we've seen players in this league before on two three year contracts going back to the sort of the Celtic Tiger boom years, nearly put the feet up and like it posed problems for some of those clubs. I mean, beyond everything that went wrong, and. Um, you're left with these legacy contracts that you can't get rid of. And there would have been a view that handing out three-year deals in this league is a bad idea um, because just lads will get into that comfort zone mode. And yeah, I know they've got questions to ask in Europe and so on, but in terms of their domestic desire to keep going, they've got it. And I mean, it is interesting, and like you may bring in Paul on this, like it, it, it is funny, you know, there probably are moments in a season, just to hear him mention there that, I mean, I don't know if his, if it was, if his instincts were wrong and if he just picked things up badly. But, I mean, he did say there, he did feel that that game in Bohem- against Bohemians where Daniel Kelly won that penalty late, he felt if the result went against him that night, they could be gone. The management team could be gone. So it's amazing to come from 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 that to here. And, and that probably shows the pressure that they, they were all feeling at that stage of the season. Yeah, it's just turning points, Dan. And I, I think we were all feeling that. And even, even Johnny was feeling that, I think, too, back in Rovers. And, you know small little instances and, and small little moments that can give squads belief that is most certainly the turning point that Dundalk will look at this season it, it's also absolutely absurd by the way if they were going to be let go if John Gill is true that they felt under pressure that early in the season a new coaching team I mean like why would that even be an issue but anyway yeah I, I guess you, you start to ask questions of you know Vinny's come in as a number from a number two to now being the main man in charge he hasn't he hasn't taken over the reins the way that they that the club would have wanted to. Um, but I think, you know, when you look at Dundalk and you, and you look at the culture, and, and I've heard a few people speak about the culture of, of the squad and the team and the club as a whole, it's driven by the players. It's a player-led dressing room. 
And that is probably the one thing that is, has stood by them in, in moments like that when the manager is coming under pressure, that he knows he has the backing of those players. He's obviously developed really good relationships in the past with them while playing um, under Stephen Kenny, that the players would have always been with him. I think once you're a manager and you have the backing of the players, I think you're always going to be okay, particularly in a division like our own where it's often quite easy to look at where your next three points are going to come when you're Dundalk. You look at the likes of UCD, Finn Harps, Waterford, Cork, Sligo, the form they were in this season, Dundalk were going to pick up three points against the majority of them. And I think when they had that reassurance and when they have that really strong culture amongst the squad and the dressing room, I think they're always, they were always going to be okay. And obviously that Bowes game was a big turning point because it meant that the gap wasn't, wasn't getting any bigger between the sides. I just thought, um, listening to that interview today, I was hoping for a bit more when you asked John about the strategy for the club and where it is he saw them go. And I thought he hesitated a bit. And I, I would have liked that it was a bit more crystal clear that they know the strategy and they know the direction of where they're heading. And I just wanted to know what you thought about that because, of course, domestically, they're firing in all cylinders. But what is the next step? What what are the feelers coming out from Dundalk? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a fair point. And I, I still think there is stuff to sort out up there. Um, just that, like Stephen Kenny leaving was massive just in terms of he was a dominant figure at the club and there's obviously a different sort of there's a few different voices and there's a new CEO um, you know say Andy Burton's been involved in the area of recruitment and you know he's someone we might speak to at some stage and and the American aspect obviously and and the owners there are very involved um, I guess and, and Mike Tracy was very emotional last night and yeah there's still a question mark over really like, do they fully know what the next step involves? Because, you, you know, Europe raised questions this year about, OK, there are weaknesses in this squad. Yes, those weaknesses don't exist at domestic level at all. I mean, mm. so you have a, a number of players there that are out of contract, say, and I think there's going to be some news on that front soon. But, you know, do you retain this squad and dominate at home? Um, or, or do you try and look outside the box and bring in you know, a certain type of overseas recruit that, that risks maybe threatening that sort of dressing room strength that you speak about. And you would think that the culture there should be strong enough to, to overcome it. And that, I know that's not specifically what you're asking. There's also the the broader point of the stadium and, and the, the, the sort of the overall ambition of the club to, to make itself the standard bearer in all aspects of Irish football. Because I'm still annoyed last night, you know, in, in some respects, watching like the Michael Duffy goal is amazing, and you know in the stadium it's like, oh, what a strike, what a moment, and you know you go home and watch it, and mm. you know the backdrop sort of takes away from it a small bit, to be honest. It does, and, yeah. You know the the you know there's, there's people in the crowd sort of getting rained on last night when they should be celebrating this team, and uh, the 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 CEO and the program touched on, yeah, sort of. In vague terms, to be honest, you know, speaking about, well, maybe Laudry are doing something with a 14,000 stadium. Could we get in with that? Or, um, you know, maybe we're looking at the, op- the, the, the sort of putting a seated stand behind one of the goals, the town end goal there. It, would that be feasible? Would that be possible? Um, and it's, it's, it's not like assertive in the sense of where they're at. I mean, my suspicion is that ultimately the priority is still going to be try and recruit some players over the winter and do better in Europe next year. Um, but that policy like, can be completely thrown asunder by a bad draw. Absolutely, you know, like, yeah. It's not, it's not like... Mike so Tracy I, alluded I, to after the game last night they were already thinking of you know the Champions League challenge next season. 
Yeah, and 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 they are. Um, but they're in a weird limbo, as I said. Like it's five and six. They could win a treble. Like it's. I mean, they're 180 minutes away from the treble. I'd, I'd probably fancy them to do it now, to be honest. Um, and like so, but it, there is that sense of, but okay, well, what's next? And you are right. Like I don't, I don't know what's next. I don't think like you can. Do you invest more in the playing squad when maybe you can argue, well, hang on, are you just going to run up a massive wage bill here that you actually maybe don't need mm. to keep to keep winning the league every year? Um, I, I wouldn't read too much. I wouldn't read too much into Europe this season in that if if things had gone a certain way, I genuinely think they could have beaten Slovan. You know, you look at that header from Mountney at the, in the first leg. that was Yeah, John mentioned that in the interview there. Yeah, he You know, just little things that, um, you know, uh, went against me. And, and if... If if you know Daniel Kelly's had an unbelievable end of the season, he didn't play that much in Europe. Just little things. I don't think they're a million miles off. And I, I think limbo. If if they are in limbo, and I know I know what you're getting at. There are certainly 19 other clubs who'd love to be in the limbo. Dundalk are in at the moment, and they're on the cusp of the treble. I don't think we should understate that, Paul. The treble is a huge deal, and you know winning the EA Sports Cup meant that this was still alive, and uh, it's such a beautiful narrative now for the FAI Cup that. This is the underlying thing. Dundalk are on the cusp of treble here, a bit like you know the Doves trying to get the five in a row because this hasn't been achieved in so long. And I think this team deserves to be crowned, or certainly it wouldn't be uh, undue to them. They do, and they they deserve all the plaudits that they get because what they have gone on to to do, in, in particular f- since April on, has been incredible. And and the the success and the consistency and the level of performance, you know, it's not always been scintillating, but they've done enough in in the in all of their games and to do that on a consistent basis is is a very very difficult thing and I, I think when you look at Dundalk this year and it was touched upon in, in that interview John Gill they've used the whole squad and they've rotated like they haven't done in, in, in previous years And That was got, a big swing from the Stephen Kenny days because he didn't generally do that It was and that's to do with the players John like you don't rotate the squad unless you've got really good quality players to come in and at times they've had Jamie McGrath on the bench they've had Benson McElhenney even the likes of Georgie Kelly Georgie Kelly would probably play in most other teams within this division and there's obviously a, a a great depth to the squad and depth of character as well because depth it, of character. I think their character vetting, whatever they do, it's working because like how they kept all these guys who've played championship level, who've played like proper football and can't even get into the team, how they kept them happy, including Georgie Kelly, who could probably argue that he deserved to be playing more games. He, he did so well when he came on, but they, they, they never give out. Yeah, well, there's a trust. There's a trust within, like that's what I was touching on. There's a trust between the players and the management and also the management and the players that what they're doing is right. And, you know, there's no better proof in the pudding them results and they've produced results consistently this season and and like I said they deserve every bit of credit that they get I'm I'm not going to question Dundalk I would never question what they do up there I just love if somebody was to come out and and say like this is the next step this is where the where the club are going because I still see and I know you're touching on the Slovan game and saying ifs and buts I still see a big gap and I don't even mean necessarily to Europe I'm talking about if I'm being over in the UK and I'm looking at League 2 facilities and training grounds and stadiums and um, match day experience and I just I still think we're way off in that sense and I don't know if, if it's the clubs are waiting you know we're getting different proposals in regards to the structures of the league nearly every second week at this stage I don't know if the clubs are waiting to see where it is they take it from there but I just would love to see that we're starting to put infrastructures and facilities and match day experiences for everybody associated with the league in place because that's 
where it needs to go from my point of view like we can't be relying on Europe every single well, year it's completely unrealistic no, absolutely. Like if you, and if you are a Shamrock Rovers kind of fan or whatever Dan or a young player at Shamrock Rovers you're looking at Tala you're looking at their well, that's tra- the training facilities that is the benchmark and you're like as much as this is rosy for Dundalk and they've been amazing on the pitch like um, Oriel is still so miles behind um, they're playing on a 4G pitch which is another debatable thing and Shamrock Rovers obviously have been have finished at least like they're 15 points off but they can at least point to Tala and the you know the, the council old ground that they play in and their facilities in Roadstone. Yeah, no, I mean, I love going to Tala for that reason. You know, I mean, and like those nights or those days in Tala this year, um, like even the game against Pats last week. I mean, it wasn't great, um, but you know, it's still a good stadium with four and a half thousand people in the ground, and, and it's better match night experience. Now, the people in charge of Dundalk, um, they would argue. Well, at the same time, they look at talent and say, well, that is a council-owned venue. You know, that is, I mean, there's, there's going to be a fourth stand, but that's, like, South Dublin County Council have put money into that. And, I mean, they're getting a return because it's bringing stuff to the area, 21s games and, and women's matches and, you know, European nights and stuff. So, like, my understanding of the position at the dock is that they, they still have a bit of money from 2016, um, which is there as a sort of a... Uh, there's a degree of security with that but I mean to build a proper stadium you're talking a serious amount of money that the club still doesn't really have and an investor coming in is not going to they're not they're, they're going to they I know that their stance is to look at it and say well there's a daily mount ground going in again that's a council funded facility um, like there's a like, I mean Sligo Rovers in fairness you know they're a club that is invested money in their ground but a lot of other examples I mean the one in Derry as well it has come from like council funding from mm. government funding from some degree of support and because the dog are dominant there's an expectation well they're, they're going to break the mould and suddenly build their own stadium when they've had one run in Europe they haven't had four you know so um like they're not bad at Borisov, you know, but but like that doesn't give them a pass either. Like there's a balancing act, you know. There's there's a degree of leaving some kind of legacy in terms of the facilities and doing something to make the experience better, while also be honest and them. They're not in a position um, to to suddenly, you know, build a stadium that they're not sure they're going to get a return on aspects of it. So there's a, there's a there's a balancing act there. I mean, the idea of going in with sort of local GEA stadium and stuff is is not something that's really realistic you would have thought um, as much as you could have a broader debate about should we be sharing facilities in Ireland and I think we should but mm. I'm not sure if that plan is necessarily going to wash um, they can they can do more with the place as, as I said like I watched uh, over the weekend there was a loose end and I watched I watched it we pulled on about sort of standards there and like you know you come over to England and you see a like League 2 venues is right like Chesterfield in the conference of an amazing stadium you know and Paul would have been would have been there like the uh, I watched a bit of MLS over the weekend and I, I watched a couple of games which were pretty poor to be honest but Jesus the facilities just look great you know and, and it does change your perception did you have a bet on both teams to score <laughs> Uh, I didn't. No, no. I didn't. You, you do but like the, the over the goals in the MLS. Oh yeah, I did, no, I did, especially no. late at night. Yeah, well, I was late at night, but I wasn't actually punting. But it, it's, you were just, watching the MLS just without having a bet, just as an interest. I was just I was working, so it was it was. It, I decided to put something on in the background. Yeah, right. free sports channel four three five. So there you go. But but uh, but it, 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 like facilities does change the perception of it. I think it changes the perception of the sponsors and you know marketing people and players and. All that, and like I've done a bit of work over the last week on the, the 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 broader picture of where the league is going. You know, the 
got a handle of actually how much sponsors are playing, how much TV companies are paying. Like it's it's not a mad amount of money and the figures seem low, but at the same time, those figures are also dictated by realities that we're dealing with at the moment. And that is about appearance and that is about attractiveness. And that's about, you know, is this a, a product that's associated with families? Is, is it, you know, is it associated with, with venues that kids and, and, and women and people can go to the grounds mm. and enjoy it? And, and these are obstacles that need to be dealt with. And uh, I know that maybe people around the dock don't like this being brought up in periods of success, but sometimes it's when you have success is when you have the political capital to make these debates and say, hang on, Monday night should be a night of celebration. Um, like this is an amazing team that's like dominating in a remarkable way in a town like a you know, small enough town. Uh, why, you know, there, there should be some desire from all sides and that includes the club but everyone to come together and say, is this acceptable? Is it acceptable that next year, if they do really well in Europe, it's all going out of the town again? Like you're going to Tala or wherever it might be. So Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. I suspect we'll be back here again. The words, it's going to take a long haul. I think long haul was used last night in the programme um, by the Nadal CEO. And I mean, they've had two CEOs in two seasons. So, I mean, there's every chance that personnel will continue to change in that regard. And that makes it harder to... Um, you know, to get a coherent plan over a long period of time. Just before uh, we touch on the, we go to the FAI Cup and uh, we'll hear from Chris Schwardek. Just the results last weekend: the Premier Division, Cork nil, Harps nil, Derry nil, Bowes nil, uh, UCD nil, Sligo two, Watford nil, Dundalk one, Shamrock Rovers nil, Pats nil, and obviously that game last night. I just want to touch on the on that game you did mention, Dan, and because at least I was looking at that Pats game at Shamrock Rovers and saying. There's a prospect next season of one other club coming into it. I thought Pats were excellent considering, you know, Stephen O'Donnell hasn't had any time to really bring in any players or change anything, but they gave Shamrock Rovers everything they got. And on the counter side of that, is there a little bit of a worry now in the Rovers camp where they were fairly one-dimensional, I thought, against Pats and they conceded three goals against Dundalk last night, didn't defend well at all. And now they're going into, you know, their, their season-defining game in a way in, in Daily Mount? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean... The one thing the Rovers, I would say, in the last two seasons, that they do have a habit of just having a bad 10 days or so and a couple of results. They tend to put a couple of bad results together, back to back, and then it really it really hurts them. And that's been the, the case both this year and last year. Um, that, you know, they've, they've had great spells and then these patches. And the fact that there were two back-to-back performances that probably haven't been at the level of you know, their their general baseline across the season. It's probably a slight niggle um going into Friday, but I I don't know. I mean bows are still pretty stretched you know, in terms of resources and, and they've had a few injuries and stuff and I'm not sure where they're at. So um yeah they weren't great. I mean Pats were good, although I, I feel like John, like, you know, the sort of the, the, the big calls on the basis of the evidence of one game or one half are like dangerous they're going to hurt you here you know in terms of another team coming into it no I'm not I'm not saying that but they they were they were very competitive against Shamrock Rovers and that at least you're looking you're looking for the likes of Derry St. Pat's and um, obviously Bowes and maybe Cork we 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 don't really want a situation where the top two are so far ahead and no to to me with Pat's last I I was very encouraged by Pat's um, but I'm not making rash judgments around but I think I think um, Stephen O'Donnell and Pat Craig could do very well here if Uh, if things go well if things go right to them in the transfer market I suppose no, we don't want that to happen, but I mean, mm. I will say at the moment that the Dock are 15 ahead of Rovers and Rovers are 15 ahead of Bows, and you're talking about like a 30 plus point gap 
um, between you know the the, the mid table as such, or even the European positions and the top teams. Yeah, but that's just not going to be get the, the top two next year will be the top two at the moment. There's no way well it will be anything other than that. Paul. Yeah, I completely so, agree yeah. with you because yeah. when when you look at the league and you, you think of the pool of players that we have within the league, where are Pat's going to get the players to bridge that gap? It's also like the just the resources. Like if you believe what you hear in terms of the wages that Rovers can pay players and that obviously the dog have have a lot of money um, since 2016. I don't know how Bows haven't aren't going to be throwing money at it, so like it's it's very hard to see it. Um, but in in terms of Bows, like Bows have had a very very poor run since they beat Shamrock Rovers. Another game that Rovers will look back on and say like, how did this happen when Mandrew got the worldly in Daily Mount? Bows have won two games since that in the league. One of them was that game against UCD when I think, with all due respect, um, you know it didn't really matter because UCD were that bad on the night. But they've really really lost their form in many ways. Now it was a good result in Derry, but it was another game obviously which they didn't win. Yeah, they've 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 struggled of late. Um, Lots of players out as well. On they have. And I think losing Dinny Corkham was very much a turning point for yeah. their season because when you looked at it before the beginning of the year, they were never going to score an abundance of goals and I think they were probably very reliant on Dinny not only to score goals but also to, to hold the ball up and get them into the final third. I still think looking back on it, I think they've had a remarkable season. I think the job that Trevor Crawley and Keith Long have done there in regards to blooding a lot of young, new players into that team and into that system has been incredible. And you, you speak of the likes of Danny Manju, Andy Lines, um, the list goes on in regards to players that they've utilised this season. I think it's it's incredible that we're here at this stage of the season. You're talking about Bohemians potentially gaining a European position and also in the semi-final of the FAI Cup and that is without doubt a successful season on their point of view yes of course their form of late hasn't been great but if you were to take it as it is and if you were to give them this option at the beginning of the season they would have bitten your hand off yeah. and if they can get European football if they can you know the resources that come with European football and add one or two they're not going to add five or six because they just haven't got the finances to do so but if they can bring in one or two players to blend in with the the young exciting talent they have well then maybe there's a chance to take another step up the ladder next year are they going to you know, break into that top two very unlikely but a still a remarkable achievement of what they've done this year I, I do want to call you on um, the game against Derry obviously I think their oldest player in the night was 24 um, now we've we've really found it hard to get Bose personnel on the last while and this week again it would have been great to get someone from Bose on but obviously they're concentrating on, on Rovers I did have a bit of a jibe with uh, the Bose man that um, could we get Evan Ferguson on the show um, which would be a first because he's 14 years of age and mm-hmm. um, Dan and I kind of did discuss this on, on off the ball on Saturday. Um, you have a strong opinion on it. The opinion that you were expressing is exactly what um, someone from a rival club, another player, said to me on Friday night. And what is that? Yeah, I coach Belvedere under 14, under 15 side. And in my opinion, it's no place for a 14-year-old to be a men's, man's dressing room. You know, the antics, the banter, everything that goes on, it's just not an environment that a 14-year-old boy should be exposed to before you start talking about his his footballing potential, before you talk about whether or not he's going to get absolutely broken up in a tackle. That environment, from my point of view, it's too soon to be blooding somebody into into that environment. Um, and of course, you know, he's, he's obviously got great ability and great potential, but surely there must be somebody within their under-19s team or under-17s team that's able to do a job the same as Evan Ferguson and maybe just protecting the boy that bit because like it's so young Johnny like we're talking about somebody who hasn't even probably done his junior cert and throwing him in to, to a men's dressing room some of these guys have maybe of course you're just saying they're only 24 was the eldest, but some of these lads might have 
you know, kids, they're out on Friday night, they might be out on a Saturday night. You're exposing them to an environment that they should not be exposed to, in my opinion, at that age. And of mm. course, like we spoke about Trevor and Keith, they are really good people within our league and they obviously have a better understanding of of the call that they have to make. But I just think before you start talking about football, before you start talking about the physical challenges, I just don't think it's something that a kid of that age should be exposed to. Dan, the game on Friday? Uh, this coming Friday, yeah, because um, it was, was was I would say it was a great result for Bowes last Friday. I must say, notwithstanding everything else that's mentioned, um, to to not to not lose there, I think that probably just just keeps the steadies the ship a bit, you know, because they had been on a bad run as you mentioned. Um, and I should mention as well, it's interesting. The Dock of the League won now. The Dock have to play Bowes, Derry, and Pats on the run in. <laughs> so, um, you know, what are the odds? So the dogs that I have to, they have a, the dog have a big part to play in that sort of European equation. And I think, I mean, they have records and stuff they want to set, but there'll be a lot of eyes on them too. That you know, mm. if they get to a cup final, I, you know, it's just it's just an, another element to add to to, to the running. That uh, that's something that could be key in the European race. But this Friday, I mean, I can't wait for it. I think it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. Um, great atmosphere per old Paul there Paul always gets stick off Bose fans even though I'm not sure if people realise that there's a whole section on Daily Mount on Friday probably a whole block that are probably going to be his family all Bose supporters he still gets grief from Bose fans every time I don't know if it's, is it even safe for you to go with Daily Mount these days Paul or is it, is it allowed or do you go undercover what happens I'll be there I had one or two jibes off them during the season I, I think I gave out when they played Chelsea that they'd no tweet updates and I was saying what a great opportunity it was to market the club but I only played two games for Shamrock Rovers. It's not as if I was there for year on year and had a... Playing to be a stretch as well. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not here to rehab it today. This is worth pointing out. You're from a family of absolute bows. Yeah, so, bows I mean, diehard. Like, within my own family, we've we've three Bohemian season ticket um, that they go down to Daily Mount on a weekly basis. But um, Can we talk about the game, though? What's going to happen? <laughs> well, I, I just, I, that was a, that was a yeah. bye to bye, but I think all the people in the queue were Paul's family as well. But, <laughs> now, like, like, it's... It, it's just, I mean, I'm not, I'm not repeating the point. I mean, it's great to see a game being sold out. It's a shame more people can't go to it. Uh, I think it's a fascinating game. I, I, I have this niggling feeling that's going to go to a replay, which actually would be that's not bad. Uh, a great spectacle as well um, in, in Tala. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, like, I just think I, I'd be a small bit worried about how Rovers have played. And I know that um, one thing I would say about Rovers as well, that they probably has cost them. I, I know that he wanted to play a strong team last night. Um, but actually, their lack of defensive depth is something that I think has really bothered them. They don't really they haven't with Joey O'Brien having a bit of a knock. They don't really have any alternative to Lopez and Grace. I mean, they've played a lot of games, and um, they were just a, just a bit sloppy last night, Rovers. And, and just well, I thought they were poor against Pat yeah, Stan, to be honest. Like, I, 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 played in, it's not it's just, just the personnel. Concern. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think it's just the personnel though, Dan. I think it's the shape of the team. And if you look mm. at that uh, Duffy goal, and I, I pressed pause on it last night, and by the time the ball gets transferred from Massey up to McElhenney, the gap between that back five, Gary O'Neill's been pulled into a centre-half position, so there's just a massive big hole that Duffy has ran into. Did I, they play three at the back again? They did, yeah. That, they, that, to me, no, that Friday against Pats did not work at all. Like mm. That dominance that they had with their four in midfield was gone. Yeah, I think it's, it's fine when you're playing against the likes of a, a Finn Harps or Waterford when you're going to own a lot, of, a lot of the ball, but I think they get so exposed at different points of the game because Aaron McInef's inkling is to, is to go for Jack Burns is so when they haven't got the ball I just think they get so exposed and you're asking centre halves like Lee Grace and Roberto Lopez and to, to defend in areas that they're not used to defending in I think when you play against the bigger teams I think they're going to get hurt 
How do you call it Friday? Um, I think Rovers will win. I, I, I think Rovers will take good belief from the from the last outing in Tala, and also the fact that Bows haven't really been flying of late. Um, I just think that Shamrock Rovers will have too much. I think they've got good experience within that squad now. I know they weren't brilliant for the whole game last night, but I think they have enough that it should get them over the line. I, I actually think they'll win on Friday. I don't. I don't actually think we'll go to replay. Dan. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sticking. I think that I have a nicked and feeling. I just think Bows have, in all the Rovers games, and even the last one, like they generally are pretty good at coming up with a game plan and and some way of counteracting what what Rovers have. I mean, the Rovers midfield would be interesting. Bulger didn't play last night. I wouldn't be surprised if Bulger come back in as sort of you know the the experienced head for that midfield battle. And we'll see about the shape. I mean, but you know, Rovers need to get Jack Byrne higher up the pitch as well, and and sort of affecting the game, but. I, like, yeah, I, I, I'm going to go for a draw. What do you think, John? What's your gut feeling here? I don't your know. Predictions I, are, your predictions will go far more viral than Anthony we say. Yeah, so particularly on. if they're wrong. Um, but I, I don't I don't actually know how, how Bowes will be in terms of personnel, so I'm kind of hedging my bets here. But um, I'd have a bit of a worry about Rovers just mentally going in because um, they're, obviously their record in big games this season isn't good in the league. And uh, I, I, I thought... I think um, we sh- what it was shown last Friday that if, if you kind of come up with a tactical plan against them, um, as Bowes have done many, many times, um, you can expose some chinks there. But I would, I being honest, I want I want the Rovers to the Dundalk final, but by the time the game happens on Sunday, I know I'll be cheering on Sligo because they're the underdogs and all that. Have they any chance, Dan, before we get to Chris Twardick? Um, that's like... Sligo like have, have have played well in certain games, but they are one of the teams that has beaten the dog this season. Um, and it's going to be a full house, and like all the but all the sort of variables you're talking about there, they're they're to do with like you know emotion and atmosphere and 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 all of this. I didn't give you a sort of look at sort of football logic, which doesn't always come true, but like distant dog team are just winning games routinely. Their last game in Sligo, I know Ronan Cockton did pull out late, so it wasn't necessarily a full-strength Sligo Rovers side, uh, but Dundalk won it fairly comfortably, scored early. Um, I know they had a, a night of celebration last night, but I think they were back in today. Um, and, you know, they, they, they're lucky to have a long run. You know, they have two extra days between now and Sunday, say, compared to Rovers going into Friday. So I, I just can't see any reason to believe that Dundalk will slip up um, the worst thing that could happen to them is, you know, a draw. In which case they come back and and then then they definitely get the job done at home. But I, I see them going through. Yeah, I, I see them in the final. Not so sure about the other one, but I, I think I, I definitely see them dock there. Yeah. Yeah, I I think Sligo could cause them problems. Wouldn't be surprised if they got a draw on Sunday. I think they're going to try to really expose them dock in terms of the pace that Sligo have, which actually other clubs don't have, but, I mean, at the same time, I suppose, hard to see them keeping it out, but I, keeping goals up, but I think it'll be fascinating. Dan, listen, thanks a million for, for taking the call. I um, know you have other duties on today, and um, we'll all be a little bit wiser next week uh, when Shamrock Rovers will still be league title winners in ways. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, lads. Talk to you. And as mentioned, Chris Schwardek is our guest from Sligo Rovers today. Chris, how are you? Good, thanks. Um, how excited are you ahead of the visit of Dundalk for the Extra Dolly FAI Cup semi-final? I think, uh, well, everyone in Sligo is definitely really excited for it, the players included. You know, it's it's a special occasion for everybody involved. You know, you, you, you want to play in the big games. So so now's, now's the chance to step up and prove that, that, we, that we should be in a final. 
what's the buzz in the camp? Are you in kind of? I know you've you've seen Dundalk on the run; they've been on and all that, and um, you know you've struggled a little bit against them since you beat them earlier in the season. But are you confident that you can do something? Absolutely, it's it's a it's a different uh, different beast uh, a cup game than than the league. You know, the league it's it's almost predetermined at this stage where where teams are finishing and. Uh, you know the top, top like Dundalk's just won the league, and, and you know it's it's all open. It's a 50-50, two teams, twenty-two players in the pitch, so it's it's anything on the day can happen. And and we beat them at home before, so mm. it's just about it's just about sticking to a game plan, executing it, and just on the day having having you know a nine out of ten performance from from the majority of the group. And then you know you're hard to beat. We've we've proved that we can beat the top teams. We've also proved that we can lose against the the middle pack, so it's about on the day putting out a, a big performance. Just tell us about yourself. There haven't been that many um, Canadians playing in the league. Um, I have to say, you've, you seem to have picked up a little bit of a Sligo twang in that accent as well. <laughs> I, you know what? I've, I've lived in Europe since about 15. I've lived in England and, and Ireland now, so mm. I just you just adapt with what's around you, I think. maybe I don't even notice it, but when I come back home, I, I often hear people saying that, that you sound like you're from Ireland or sound like you're from, from England, and and I'm just looking at them like I have no idea what you're talking about. But <laughs> you, you're only 22 as well. Like Paul Corey here, you had a spell obviously in Britain. Um, you were at Millwall and then Braintree Town and Carlisle. But how did you initially get into football? Um, in in Toronto, was it something your mates were into? Uh, you know what? I was well. I was born in Toronto, but I, I grew up in Ottawa, and and, and my my family's uh, from Czech heritage, and the Czechs were always big into their football. That's where my dad's from. So, so it just kind of came from my, my, my dad, my brother, he played and then I got into it, just wanted to follow in his footsteps. And then I just, you know, I was, I was thriving in, in my hometown. And then, um, the bridge over to Europe would have been from, from Everton. I got scouted by them at a young age and then just kind of, uh, just followed on with Millwall. And then, like you said, uh, Braintree loan, Carlisle loan, and, and, and now, uh, obviously here in, in Ireland. What was it like at Millwall? You know, 15-year-old kid away from home, uh, you, away from your friends, and you're thrown into southeast London, and and you know you've got the 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 most you you, you could use the word passionate fans in in, in the country. Uh, it's it's a big uh, big uh, difference to what I was used to, and a big learning curve. You know, it's it's it, you learn at a very young age. It's win at all costs. It's work rate. It's uh it's it's everything about it, the result and and winning and competing and and you know that's just the fundamentals that that go into a to a millwall player so you have to kind of bring that on if you want to to succeed there i guess you can relate to that paul even though it was, you were older when you went over yeah i can and i can i can definitely relate to the whole millwall aspect and it was definitely the most intense environment that i've ever been in regards to a football match um just the fans are crazy, and I can only imagine that it's quite a difficult, difficult place to play and, and, and a side to play for. And I'm just interested, Chris. I was at Carlisle United as well. How did you get on yep. there? You know what? I I loved my my time at Carlisle. It was a, it was also a, a, a you know what? I would say it kind of had a bit of everything. I I I went and I was desperate for a loan. You know, I was breaking into Millwall in the champ, just getting a little taste here and there, and I was I was desperate to play some regular league football. And it was Keith Curl at the time. He brought me in. And uh, the first kind of two months was just everything you could have asked for. You know, like player of the matches, assists, just like the, the team, like just immediate impact. And then I kind of came in with a bit of an injury and it just dragged on. And by the end of the season, I was 
I was just fully injured, I'd say. It was just a case of getting through it till the offseason. I hear this so many times, Paul, you know, you're making strides and then you get hit by an injury and inevitably you replace it's momentum and yeah. it's 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 confidence as well like particularly as a Absolutely. young a young player playing on any side particularly in the UK you need to be playing with confidence and you need to be playing consistently in order to make a mark in the team mm. and when you get hit with an injury and maybe a more experienced player comes in you're out of the side it's very difficult then to get another opportunity mm. and then when you get that opportunity you have to really take it and if you don't you don't know when the next one comes so and it's very difficult yeah. it's very unforgiving very unforgiving and how, how did you end up in Ireland then that must have been something that you weren't anticipating when you joined last year no you know what when my uh, when my uh, contract uh, and, and you know what like you said with the injuries as well like I was you know, I was breaking into the team in the championship bench and then I got a loan to the football league, which from, from a championship club doesn't always happen. And, and often you get loaned to non-league teams. So it was all like nailed on to get a contract. And then it kind of hit me by surprise because it was almost like they just changed their mind in the last second because it actually happened after the season had finished. So I was left, you know, injured at the end of a season where you assumed you were getting a deal and it's just all hits you by surprise, you know, and and I actually didn't even end up getting an off-season break. I was straight to the Toulon uh, tournament with with the Canadian under 23s. So, uh, and there was no way of pulling out of that. They made me captain for the squad, so there was there was no chance of of uh, of me saying no to that. It was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. So it was a case of of injured, no rest, and you just have to find the next challenge. And you want to and and you need it to have a, a long enough duration that next team because you realize that when you first sign with that team. You're not gonna uh, you're not gonna thrive at the beginning. It was almost a case of of biding your time till you got that rest and you could and you could make your mark. So uh, so so for me, I I was in a position where uh, I I at a young age left home. So it was not a case of needing to be close to home or or any familiarity with England that, that I needed to stay there. So it was it was uh, there was a few options on the table. There was uh, Toronto FC. Uh, there was a team in Finland and there was uh, an Irish team with, with Jared Little at the time calling me. And uh, they offered an 18-month deal. So I, I realized you would kind of see out the season and then have another year to, to kick on there. And, and so it, it was just appealing with that sense. And, and, uh, and you know, it, it's, a, it's a great club to come to, a good community club. So, so yeah, that's kind of how my, uh, my uh, lead to Ireland was. And Paul, this man is like something of an anachronism in that he's an out-and-out winger. He like wants to take on his man. He runs up and down the line all the time. Um, I think you actually one time said his delivery into the box, his kind of final product could be a li- little <laughs> bit better. Is that right? That's, that's not what I was getting at. I think it was before they played Bohemians um, up in the showgrounds. And actually, Johnny, we were highlighting Chris's good play, getting in behind the opposition. And, what, and then what? And actually, now looking at it, and I realize that Chris is only 22, well, maybe maybe that might be a bit of an explanation because maybe the final product is to come and there's a lot of learning to be do- done there. And I can't get over that Chris is only 22 because in the games that we actually analyzed, Chris was by far and away along with Romeo Parks, their best threat for getting in behind teams. And he's quick. He is quick. And, and my question to you, Chris, is for yourself and the likes of Romeo Parks and, and Coughlin and Murray, where, where are the gaps? Where are the weaknesses that you think you can exploit coming into this game against Dundalk? Well, uh, without giving too much away, but uh, I would say that, that the reality is, is that that we are where we realize and respect Dundalk's quality. And so you have to you have to acknowledge that. So you have to set up appropriately. 
but but will feel with the pace of myself and Romeo for sure, and and with Ronan's uh, quality down the middle holding up the ball, that that will have to you will have to to exploit that. You know, if you have pace, if you have um, if you have that in your team, then you have to use it. So so we'll try and we'll try and use that as best we can. I hope that answers your question without you know taking away our game plan at all. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so, you know, we'll be confident in ourselves. You know, you, do, you don't want to go into a semifinal and just, just, you know, see out a game and, and hope for a draw. We want to win mm. the match. We'll, 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 we'll take our, our, uh, our, our assets to the game as well. And, and, you know, we're at home. We've, we've had a good run of home form this season. We've, we've beaten Shams here. We've beaten Dundalk here. So, uh, I think for us, it's been a, it's been a case this season where consistency has probably been the, the biggest thing that, that that had we have had it, we would potentially have been top four because on our day we've we've beaten and we've had some great results. You know, four two away to Cork and and like I said with Dundalk Shams and, and away to Bows. If 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 only you could kind of add that with a bit of uh, form at, with the mid table clubs, then there's there's no reason we couldn't have been you know third fourth or 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 really licking that fifth spot. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd fully agree with you there. And I think it has been a transition stage for, for Liam Buckley and, and that Sligo side. What I would like to know, and, and have somebody who's been to the UK and then come back, where do you find the league stands? If you were to compare it to somewhere in the UK, whether that be League 2 or League 1 or even the conference, where do you think that the average or, or the, I guess, the mean of all the sides, where do you think our league stands? Interesting question, you know, because I've, I've tried to kind of map that out in my head as well. And and you know you have to say that that I think you could say this with all European leagues is that there's 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 a, a big range. Um, so so I think if you look at the top two teams, you know you'd have to say like if they're they've they've shown it in Europe, they've they've beaten some good sides and they've had some great results. So you know maybe like the top end is is a, is a League One, you know maybe maybe the bottom end is is a non-league. So there there's kind of that range. So so wherever you piece that in the middle. Uh, you know, a league two, you know, you know, something like that. Um, but I think, I think even, even within teams, you'll, you'll have ranges as well. Like I'm sure there's, there's, there's greater depth at the top sides than, than perhaps, uh, you know, the bottom two, three, four, four teams in the league. So, so I'd say, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bit all over the place. I'm sure you'd, you'd, you'd think, think the same, you know, the top teams, very good league one, bottom teams, maybe non-league middle sides, you know, league two conference, you know, something like that. Would you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think that's quite a fair assessment. Yeah, I think a lot of people that have played, like, and I suppose it's trying to develop the depth. Um, we, we do have to wrap up. We've three, I have three questions for you, Chris, before we wrap up. A, why is Ronan Murray faster than you in FIFA? <laughs> You know what? I think that that has to be addressed. I think an mm. email from from the league needs to be in order. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would actually agree with you there, Ronan. Good lad from Belmullet and all that. Wouldn't have known him to be absolutely blessed with pace. So rapid um, in his younger days. Just why? Also, why is your your cat Archie so significant in your life? <laughs> I can assure Johnny Dunleavy's been at, at at part for that. Answer the um, question. <laughs> You know what? I actually got him as a stray in, in Ireland last season, and you've you know picked what? up a few strays in your time, Paul, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> nah, but he's he's a he's a legend. You know, he's an orange cat, and uh, he's he's my best mate down here. And finally, um, and this is all seriousness, the prospect of playing in Lansdowne Road in the Aviva Stadium uh, in November. What would that mean to you? Well, you know what? It'd be an amazing occasion. I think my family would come down from Canada and watch it for sure. Uh, and you know what? Like I said before earlier on the call. It's a it's big player it's big games 
that you want to make your name in. You know, it's it's you know it could be easy to to score a goal against you know a bottom side, but but you know if you wanna if you wanna uh, have a good career and and crack on and and you got to do it against the big team. So it's it's a great occasion if you can do it in the Aviva Stadium. There's people watching, you know, uh, and it's just even just for the community. You know, if you if you can bring out fifteen thousand uh, Sligo supporters, it would mean everything to to the whole community. I can. Uh, I can just see it around. Like the other day, I, I joined a, a, a nine-year-old Sligo fan's birthday party, and you know, just seeing a few Sligo players there, and, and it just meant the world to him. And if and if that's you know fifteen thousand of them, then it's just then it's just absolutely class, and it'll be good for the club over the next few years to to do that as well. Chris, you paint a lovely picture there of what it means to the local community and um, delighted to have had you on. Really looking forward to seeing you take on um, Dundalk and exploit these uh, weaknesses that you talk about as well at the weekend. Best of luck, mate. Yep, thank you very much. Honestly, Paul, like that is that's an accent that has so much going on. It sounds vaguely from Northern Ireland at one point, and the Canadian accent itself with the out and all that, or whatever they pronounce out, like is a bit odd. But um, that notwithstanding, uh, kind of a likable, likable guy. Yeah, very well spoken. Yeah. Just doing a bit of research before we came in, I couldn't get over. This. He's only twenty-two years of age. He um, he plays the game in a very mature manner, and he's been one of their mainstays this season. And he has got the ability, and you look at him and the likes of Romeo Parks, and it's like he mentioned, like they're going to have to be at eight nines out of tens to get any sort of result or have any chance of going through into the final because Dundalk are just playing so well of late. I don't know about that though. I just think if if um, Twardick is probably going to try to um, target Dane Massey if Dane Massey's playing because Dane wouldn't be as quick obviously at this stage of his career. He's moved on a bit, another good season, but uh, he he might be a little bit vulnerable pace wise. Dante, um, I'm sorry, Romeo Parks is very very quick, and I don't think there's any actual back four in the league that can deal with him when he's at full speed. So that's what they'll be looking at, and also. They have good midfielders there. They have they have Sligo have good players, I think, and all their they're like they've been basically in this kind of league limbo for the last while where everything's about the cup. Mm. Whereas Dundalk have had other um challenges. I, I, I think they have a chance. Potentially. <laughs> they beat them early on the season as well. Yeah, very early on in the season and part of the season when you were talking about Dundalk being under pressure. Dundalk have come through that period of time. Um well, you can talk about systems, you can talk about shapes, you can talk about patterns of play, all you like, but there's no substitute for having better players. And Dundalk have better players than Sligo. And they've got more off the bench, they've got great strength and depth, and they don't panic. Like, I was up there doing the game for Air Sport against Derry in the EA Sports Cup final, and they never panicked when they went 1-0 down. They still continue to play. They have the experience within the squad. They have the belief in the system. They have the belief in themselves that they will get chances and they'll get opportunities and they'll take them. And they have enough to get themselves over the line. And there's just there's a confidence you know you might say that yeah some of the performances haven't been great but they've won so many games since April and I think this is just another step um, in regards to getting towards that treble and I, I can't like Dan said maybe they'll get taken to a replay but it's very hard to see how Sligo will will you know prevent them from getting to the final and you feel that they sort of need to win at the showgrounds um, yeah absolutely you know. I, th- I think if Sligo were to have any chance they have to score the first goal mm. like some mm. a game of that magnitude I think if you go behind and you're you're looking at Dundalk and saying they've won the league they've won the A Sports Cup you're now one behind I'm not sure Sligo will have the belief and the confidence to come from behind against that Dundalk side um, it's also Dundalk just who they can bring off the bench that like it's it must be fairly demoralising when you put in a shift and then whoever you're marking is replaced by say you know, if Dan Kelly were coming in or whoever, um, but must give a mention to Robbie Benson as well. You would know what it's like to have a, a season that's been 
obliterated somewhat by injury and um, fantastic header uh, to get them was their second goal last night. Yeah, and goals everywhere within the team and Benson, McGrath, McElhenney, Duffy, Huben, Kelly, the list goes on in regards to people that can hurt you. And Benson's a really good guy. He's a really good character. He's a great person to have around the dressing room and um, to see him come through what has been quite a difficult season for him um, is, is nice he's to so see. so missed in Europe, I thought, as well. He is, because he's, he's that intelligent player mm. that will buy you a pass when you're under pressure. Like Stevie O'Donnell would have done it back in the day for them and just kind of takes the pressure off people's shoulders. And that's what Benson does. He's, he's great at linking between the back four and the, and the strikers and, and getting himself into the box. And he's a major asset for them when he's playing well. Mm. Um, who who will win the cup before we move on? I want to say Shamrock Rovers, but mm. do I believe Shamrock Rovers on a big pitch at the Aviv if they played Dundalk? Probably not. I I I do have, like I said to Dan, I have questions about the shape when they play a five, and I'm not sure how much protection they're given to their to their back four or five within the the midfield, and I think Dundalk would probably expose gaps at the Aviva. So you would have to think Dundalk. I, I don't I don't know why they're playing three at the back. I think it maybe it's a personnel thing. They've they've tried to get Lafferty into it, but Well I know why. Because they haven't got wingers. They haven't mm. got out and out wingers. Like Neil Ferrugia's come in and they've identified that they need wingers. And the substitute for that is to get your fullbacks up high. So he's looking at Sean Cavan, he's looking at Ronan Finn when they're playing in those positions to be that outlet out wide and then create overloads. So you can do that without playing three at the back though, if you know what I mean. But I mean, who do you play? Because So you play Cavan and whoever is right back. Um but who do you play left back? Sorry, you play Kavanagh. So who do you play left wing? You play your narrow midfield. Like, because they didn't, they still only have one player in the wing. And the midfield dominance they traditionally enjoy. The first, the first half against Pats, honest to God, the first 20 minutes, they barely had the ball at all. And mm. uh, I was like, see, obviously Pats, Pats targeted their, their right side uh, with Toner down the left. And they, they did a lot of damage down the left-hand side, Pats, in the first half. But for me, Rover's best system, as much as it's flawed... Is to pay is to play four at the back with that block of four in the middle um, and play Aaron Green up top or whatever. Um, I'd probably agree with you, and I actually think that th- that is an area that they need to improve on. I mm. think somebody like Neil Farouche, somebody who's probably not as technical as the likes of a Graham Burke or a Jack Burke, you need one or two of them in every side because you need somebody who's going to be willing to run beyond back fours and stretch teams. Because if you think, if you take it at its simplest form, if you have somebody, Johnny, a winger or a striker who wants to run in behind a back four, the back four's natural tendency is to drop. And when they drop, that creates space for Jack Burke. Like that, that is exactly what they need. And they're looking for that from their fullbacks in that system of five. But, the likes of a Sean Cavan and Ronan Finn haven't got the legs. Mm. Like, if you're a fullback, you would much rather play against a Sean Cavan than a Neil Frugia. Why? Because he's not as quick. Absolutely. What's the latest on Frugia? Because people would forget that he signed for Shamrock Rovers. What a sign that he could have been, giving them that extra dimension and he hasn't played. I think they knew that when they signed him, to be honest with you. Um, I know Neil quite well and the hamstring tear was, was bad. And I think Shamrock Rovers were of an understanding that it was bad. But to get him into a full-time environment, to get him in amongst the lads and around um, the players that he's going to play against next or play with next season, that was probably outweighed the the negative impact of him not playing because of the hamstring injury. He's not far off. He, he could potentially feature between now and the end of the season. 
Um, and he is he is somebody you saw with the Irish 21s when he stepped up. He stepped up really well and he offers them something different. Like he, he He's raw pace and there's nothing worse for a fullback than a winger who's got raw pace. And He's somebody who's got massive potential who could definitely grow into that Shamrock Rovers squad. I should mention young Alua who came on against Pats as well. I thought like he... He was very bright and uh, has a bit of speed about him and uh, set up a great chance, uh, even two chances. And uh, I think he's only 18, um, mm. which makes him four years older than Evan <laughs> Ferguson. But um, he, he looks like a kid that could do something. Yeah, they've, they've put a lot of money into the academy. Mm. So you would like to think that there's going to be players that are going to come through. And if they don't come through, they'll sell them on. They've sold Furlong on, they've sold Bazunu on. So mm. it, it in itself has almost become its own business. But you would love to see that a couple of players would, would break into that first team and, and make an impact because... That that is the model that they've created out there. Yeah, they've they've a lot of ballers, but as you say, Paul, at the moment they don't have an awful lot of speed in the team. Um, the first division was wrapped up the weekend at Lone two, Galway two, Bray four, Drogheda one, Cove one, Longford three, Shelburne seven, Limerick nil, Wexford one, Cabinteely uh, two. Just on that Shelburne game, I tweeted uh, something in relation to the FAI on Saturday, having kind of a word with the media about the spectacle at Talca Park, which um, effectively was the Limerick players being kind of peppered with betting slips. Um, confetti of betting slips must nearly be a first at, a, at any football ground. Um, pretty grim scenes, but um, the bottom line is actually that the, the information I had wasn't right. That the, it wasn't. It was nothing to do with the FAI. Um, I've spoken to the FAI about this, but I do want to apologise well because, in fairness, Paul. I contacted the FAI about irregular betting patterns in the first division earlier this season, and my tweet maybe yesterday read like it was this kind of <laughs> another Simpsons meme. It's the one where um, Principal Skinner has like a kind of a laser in his head because the the mafia are compelling him to feed all the kids with pretzels and um, because they're running this cartel. But uh, it was actually nothing to do with that because, in fairness to the FAI. Um, when when they did look into the irregular betting patterns this season, everything that I understood, they were really putting effort into sorting it out, and um, you know progress has been made into looking into it. And I do apologise about that. I don't know if they f- what role the FAI will have in the league. I mean, mm. going forward, I don't know if you read Dan's article on Saturday. Um, there was a lot of stuff there. It's it's there's questions. There's always questions. We could, we could be here all day talking about questions about the FAI. You could start at grassroots level, Johnny, and bring it the whole way up to mm. our own league, into the senior team, into how we coach our under-15s, who's in charge, who's looking after our best talent, mm. what are they doing to bring them through, what are they doing to prepare them for the UK. You could be here all day and I haven't seen, I've seen very, very little change. You can talk about the structures of the underage level of change. I've seen very little change in football as a whole from when I was 12 years of age. To that's, now. To now. That's 16 years ago. The same people. It's the same faces. Who have we brought in to to really look after our talent? Like, you, you go across to the UK and they are absolutely miles ahead of us. What would you do? What would I do? God. Um, put me on the spot there. I, I think we really need to look at the <laughs> coaching before you start talking about the players and how it is we're equipping our coaches to go in and the systems, the strategies, the techniques that we're teaching from a young age and what what it is we want our kids to do and how we want them to play and being consistent with that the whole way through so that when we get to a senior level, well, at least we have some sort of identity of how we want to play the game. Define it, coach it, and then hopefully bring players along the journey. What will Shells bring to the Premier Division next season? Shells are prepared, well, they're best prepared of any side in that first division to make the step up. I would know Andrew Doyle on a personal level, the owner who's gone in there. And Andrew is a businessman. He's, he will have put plans and he put strategies in place to, 
to take the club forward and, and hopefully bridge that gap from the first division into the Premier Division. How prepared they're going to be, I don't know. Um, I, I probably wasn't expecting the first division table to be as competitive as it was with the players and, and the resources they have at hand. But that said, they were bringing in a new manager and, and a lot of new faces. You would like to think they're going to have more of an imprint than Finn Harps and UCD. Um on, on twofold, in regards to the impact that they can have on the league with attendances and, and bringing what Shells have brought in previous years, but also in the league table, you'd like to see them pushing and and, and not, you know, scrapping like a UCD or Finn Harps. I guess a lot of it that has to do with how they will recruit and how much money they're going to put behind it. Mm. Um, I, I think they'll definitely add to the competitiveness of the league. The first division... Um, which has been, as Paul mentioned, they're pretty competitive this season. Limerick finished uh, in the bottom half. Bray missed out on the playoffs. This all means that Cabin Teeley and Dara Doyle's Longford are going to clash. There was a story in the Irish Times this weekend about Cabin Teeley and the future of the club, which we can probably talk about another day. But we're, we're very much uh, hopeful that we'll have somebody from Cabo in next week for the first time this season ahead of their game against Longford, the winner from which will play Drogheda and the winner from which will then take on uh, what looks to be Finn Harps or UCD, um, but probably Finn Harps in the playoff. Um, before we wrap up, um, I saw you tweeted an interview that you were involved in. Um, you took a call that ended up being like a, the length of a football match, 90 minutes about your time at Sheffield Wednesday. And it was a bit of an entrepreneurial... No, it was a bit of a... Um, what's the word? The, the journalist was... He, he was quite imaginative because they're playing the league... Sheffield Wednesday are playing the League Cup against... Everton. Everton. And this is significant because... My, I made my debut against Southampton in the League Cup seven years ago. So that so was, was probably... It, okay, so it was like a, an anniversary of your League Cup... Yeah. Uh, slash debut, yeah. um, but it, it I I only kind of read a bit of it coming in the start the the facts I read up until everything was going great and then you were <laughs> kind of Dave Jones changed his mind but um it must have been I suppose um, I don't know helpful in a way to kind of get that off your chest again as well because uh, there's still a lot of anger there yeah there is there's a lot of hurt and there's also a lot of regret from my point of view about what didn't materialize in my own career um some of that's my own fault some of it. I don't blame on other people, but I could have been helped better along the way. Um, so yeah, uh, it helps, and uh, I'm still transitioning over. I still haven't. I still wake up most mornings, Johnny, thinking I should be going into a trading ground. How hard is that? Because you're what age? Are you twenty eight. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, people forget that. Like we spoke. Shane Subble thought I was thirty eight, would you? Or thirty thirty four? Yeah, well, he doesn't know what he's on about. Yeah. But um, you're you're twenty eight. You could have. I should be in the prime of my career. It, as yeah. simple as, as that, I should be in the prime of my career. I should still be... Well, I'm not saying I should still be playing. I was unfortunate about the fact that I'm not playing. Back to the interview. The interview, for me, I just wanted to open up with some of the challenges that I faced when I was over there. Some of the, the circumstances, the environments, and the difficulties that I faced while I was over there. And I just thought that this was a good opportunity to open up because it was a Sheffield paper. And some sometimes when you're a player, you're not allowed to say things. And then fans... Um, create these opinions on you and, and the type of character you are so I just wanted to open up and, and give people an honest insight into what happened and it was completely honest I, I didn't lie about anything that I said and there was difficult moments and when I look back now and my time in the UK there was a lot of lot of tricky spells for me for my family for my friends um, and that is just a little insight Are you a little bitter that um, it was taken away from you just through lack of just through sheer misfortune that 
your career and it's so early and you're still trying to transition as much as you've you know you live in a in a first world country it's a first world problem but um it must still be sometimes hard to reconcile that yeah i, I like i go into ireland games and i go in particular when i go to the uk to watch a game i i think about how much i miss it because of the environment because of um the stadiums because of the the players that you would have played against them with at the level that they are at um, I get it as well when I walk into League of Ireland grounds because I could have had a really good League of Ireland career. Um, players that I would have grown and Finn, Robbie Benson, Dave McMillan all had, Andy Boyle had really good, won a lot of trophies here. So I could have had a good career here too. So that's difficult. It's the untapped potential, how far I could have gone, the things I could have done within the game. That really, really gets to me. But at the same time, there's aspects of the game that I don't miss. Mm. Um, and I would say, and I said this in the, in the interview, but it wasn't mentioned, if you were to take a random survey of 10 players say in the championship and ask them do they like football I'd love to know the stat that you'd get back I would say probably between 7 and 8 people would say they probably don't and they do it because it's a job um, and there's that comes because of the pressures it comes of because you haven't got so much control of your own destiny because of all the different politics that goes on in the behind the scenes that's really difficult to deal with as a professional athlete and I'm not sure fans really empathise with that because they see the riches that you're you're gaining and the money involved in the game but they, the impact that has and like John Gill says it, it becomes obsessive it becomes your life you miss out on family occasions you miss out on um, different moments that you you're, you could share with your friends um, and I'm not saying that it's not all worth it but it, be, it comes with pressures and, and that is sometimes difficult to deal with yeah, on that note, actually, before we wrap up, I think uh, Dan had a little kind of excerpt in the paper on Monday about he spoke to Stephen O'Donnell, obviously, because Stephen's um, wife had a baby on Friday, and um, he'd almost forgotten it in the sense of, oh, crap, yeah, I won't, I won't be able to watch the... I won't be able to go to Oriel on Monday because I'm, I'm, I'm on father duties now, and it just <laughs> suddenly dawned on him because the baby was only a few hours old, and I was on um, Twitter last night, and who was at the game in Oriel? Stephen O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. like it's never ending. It's I'll all just give consuming. You a, like a very quick example, I spoke with James McLean when I finished, and he said that he took one week off in a fifty-two week year, and that's including his off season. He was training the whole way through. You you have to remember you're training and playing through Christmas as well, and that's how consuming it is. And he's doing that. How many years has he been in the UK now? must be nearly 10 mm. uh, and he'll probably do it for another three and that's a that's a serious serious commitment to go at that level at that pace and in that intensity for that length of time very well summed up that was uh the season three episode 33 congratulations to dundalk congratulations to shelburne and best of luck to the four teams uh, competing in what we hope will be excellent fei cup semi-finals at the weekend hopefully we'll see you there Play.